Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. The Evening Standard and the Borough Press present Underground, Tales for London, Bakerloo Line, London Etiquette by Katie Mahood, read by Ash Reezy, Kilburn, Clybourne, place of iron-strong water, where centuries ago, polite company could find relief for stomach ailments, and for their baser urges too. This morning, though, the clustered shop fronts that Anjum passes show no sign of the dogfights and duels that once made this ancient roadway notorious. Daytime is creeping over the rooftops, their worn tiles sharpened by the backlight of a rising sun as the bare strings of his guitar vibrate with every passing bus. His eyes fall to the stone that marks where the Kilburn Wells once stood. When he was a kid, his father loved to tell him about local history, and the Calibiate water that drew the gentlefolk to the area. He's never worked out why his dad cared so much about this crappy corner of northwest London. It's my home, that's why, was the only explanation the old man would ever give. And June crosses the high road, heads down to the tube, nodding to Jim in the ticket office, who raises his hand in a solemn greeting. The guitar strings twang as they tighten to tune. He starts to play. Somewhere underneath this street, thinks William as his stiff legs carry him down the front steps, there is a river. The Westbourne, running south from Hampstead through Kilburn, his adopted county. County Kilburn, where the voices came from all over. Cork, Kerry, Dublin, Ulster. A drop of the familiar that was more than welcome when he first arrived in London. Morning, Jim, he says as he buys his ticket. Strange, he thinks, how an accent still shapes my words, even after all these years. Guitar music echoes against the walls. The ticket hall thrums with people, channeled untidily down the escalators to wait for the Bakerloo line. William makes the same journey each morning. Decades merge in every step, but today he stops and steps out of the flow of commuters to listen to the busker stroke a seamless dance across the neck of his guitar. William reaches into his pocket. At the chink of the dropped coin, the young man's eyes open. He smiles. Thank you, sir. Much obliged. William nods. He stands a moment longer. 
Very nice, he says as he steps back into the riptide of commuters, his mind sliding to the day ahead of him. The clinics, the consultations, the meeting this evening near to King's Cross. The sky is bright by the time Anjum leaves Kilburn Park. He checks his new digital watch as he strides along the high road. 9.27. Hurry up. Mum will already be visiting Dad at the hospital. She always takes the bus, says it's because it's cheaper. But he knows it's because she's scared. Perhaps you have to grow up with the tube to really get it, he thinks, as he lays his guitar on his bed and lifts the bag in the corner. At the front door, he swears and spins back to his room. It's football tonight, up in Wood Green, nearly forgot. He pushes his kit on top of his books and jogs to the station, his bag still unzipped, willing the trains to be running on time. He doesn't want to be late for lectures again. The clock in King's Cross says 1929 as William walks towards the underground. He doesn't have the stamina these days that he once did, but he still plots his path with a Londoner's automation, face low, weaving through the gaps. The speed of this city. Motion is everywhere. Bodies cross-hatch the concourse. Trains roll into the platforms. Pigeons scatter upwards as a guard blows his whistle. Even my body, thinks William, is a constant pulse of blood and breath and bacteria. Above the flurry of people, he sees the shining roundel of the tube. The underground, he's always thought, is the city's saving grace, the only place where everyone is equal. Those young men with their braces and the rolls of banknotes in their pockets, punks and tramps and Jehovah's Witnesses. All that restless difference, and yet London keeps on flowing with so much relentless life. It still felt like there was a war on when he first arrived, a few years after the bombing had ended. He'd been shocked to see the urgent crowds, the smog-dense streets, the broken shells of bombed-out buildings. On the frantic wards of his first hospital job, he'd found himself longing for the quiet of the university he'd left behind, the lamp-lit carols in the library, where a dark-haired girl had tapped his shoulder and laughed at the words he was muttering as he'd memorised the bones in his hand. Some lovers try positions that they can't handle. Naomi had been so quick to laugh in those days. He buys an evening standard from the toothless man at his stand and rolls the paper under his arm. He hums as he moves, the tune he heard on his way to work this morning played by the busker at Kilburn Park. The song has stayed with him all day. Now, in the throb of the crowded station, it is a soundtrack to the jostling travellers, to the plod of his feet and the ache in his shoulders. Below the departure board, a group of nuns gather in a half-circle around their suitcases. People part around them, but these elderly ladies in their grey polyester jumpers take no notice. They stand there, unaware of how they are rupturing the flood of passengers, unaware of the laws of London etiquette. You must never stand still in a moving crowd. The display clicks as its letters rotate, updating the information about times and places and platforms. The clock on the board changes, too, as William watches. 1933. His feet fumble a clumsy quick step down to the tube, and he is engulfed by a sea of bodies moving. But he is oblivious now, halfway home already in his mind. This journey is his moment of transition, in which the city dissolves and his body is slowed once more to a singular pace. Years ago, he tried to explain it to Naomi how it felt to be consumed by the city, how it felt 
to leave it all behind and become himself again. He remembers the hollow ache of exhaustion, his mind fizzing from the onslaught of so many new things to learn, patience and procedures and protocol. It's overwhelming, like a lover with an appetite too vast to be sated. Her green eyes had narrowed, and her dark hair slipped from its pins as she shook her head at him and laughed. But he'd persisted, pressing her fingers to his neck. The city is alive, just like us. Movement, heat and change. She'd interrupted him with a kiss and carried on knitting, the wool trailing over her swollen belly, her cheeks flushed in the firelight. William stops walking for a moment and a young woman tuts as she sidesteps away. The cold fingers of the past close around him. We would have made fine parents. He takes one breath, then another. He pulls his ear, as he does at these moments, and the warmth of his flesh brings him back to the present. His eyes reach across to where the escalators send streams of people down to the depths of the platforms, over and again, their wooden tread softened by forty years of footfalls. Below them, machinery turns, its dull metal reflecting for a second the spark of a discarded match that has found its way into a crack. Euston Road is bright with light and moving metal as Anjum makes his way towards King's Cross, his bag banging heavily against his thigh. He can still smell the hospital, taste its decay and disinfectant in the back of his throat. In the roar of the traffic, he pushes the afternoon away, a cacophony of images that he doesn't want to hold on to, sputum bowls and oxygen masks, the pitted sheen of his father's fingernails, yellowed against the bedsheet. He drops his empty packet of crisps, watching as it is lifted by a gust of fumes and absorbed into the city. He is glad not to be going straight home, glad of the few hours in Wood Green thinking of nothing but the game. Anjum licks the salt from his fingers, feeling the wind bite his wet skin. He stuffs his hands into his pockets, clenching and releasing his fists to make the blood flow. A memory settles across him, softening the harsh November night. The sensation of his feet lifting from the ground, a kite above him, his father's cracked hands anchoring his middle. He holds his breath against the rush and noise of the busy road, trying to grip onto the remembered warmth of those hands as they held him safe. Above the squat rise of the station, the sky is starless, tainted orange by the city's sodium glow. Below, trains rumble in the dark. Anjum feels the sudden tug of home, where his mother will be cooking pans of food that his father will never eat. She has grown so thin, her bright pink jumper swallows her whole, but she cooks and cooks, beading the kitchen windows with fragrant condensation, turmeric, cumin, coriander. He runs through the journey in his head, reciting the stations that he'll pass through on his way to Wood Green. He presses the light on his watch. 1934. Head down, he walks in a fluid line, finding gaps as soon as they arise, swerving round a man who halts suddenly to consult a folded map. Watch out, mate, he calls out as he passes, but he is too late to stop the inevitable collision. A furiously lacquered woman spits obscenities as the flustered man fumbles with his map and tries to move aside, buffeted by every passing traveller. Andrew laughs. This place will eat you alive if you let it, he thinks, as he walks into the ticket hall and searches his pockets for his travel card. London is a place you have to own, 
find its rhythm and make it yours. That's what he loves about the busking, the way you can change a person's day with a few simple chords. And it's a bit of money on top of the student grant. God knows he and his mum need every penny just now. He pats the coins in his pocket from this morning. Two pounds and thirty-six pence. Perhaps he'll call in at the shop on his way home after football. Buy his mum some of that baklava she loves and entice her to take a few bites. Since his dad's been in hospital, she can barely eat at all. But she's always had such a sweet tooth. Perhaps the syrup-drenched pastry might tempt her to try. At the top of the escalator, Anjum eyes the metal bars that punctuate the smooth chute of the midsection. He remembers sliding down them only a few years ago, can still feel the teenage thrill of breakneck speed and disapproval. His eyes are caught by a sudden rush opposite, and not of people moving. The shout comes from the foot of the escalators. A policeman is waving people along from the platforms, up and out of the station. Keep going! There is a charge in the air, a waft of smoke. The policeman's radio crackles. Escalator four, evacuation underway. His face grows red as his voice grows louder. Everyone out, now! Commotion builds. The crowds no longer flow but thunder, and Anjum feels his body tighten. The escalators stop rolling, and he turns on his heel, walking back up the steps he's just descended. He starts to hum. It's what he does when things feel edgy, and finds he is mouthing the song from this morning, the one he was playing where that man stopped to listen. Strange what pops into your head when you're nervous, he thinks. People begin to run. The air grows thin with panic. He quickens his step, moving with the singularity of the crowd, taking the hand of a woman beside him, whose face is twisted with terror. It's going to be all right, he starts to say, but a swell of people behind push him onwards, and his fingers slip from hers as he is forced faster up the steps. I'm too old for this, thinks William as he struggles back from the platform, carried towards the exit by an accelerating crowd. A young woman clasps his arm and asks if he's all right, but he tells her to hurry ahead. Don't you worry about me, dear, I'm quite hardy. I lived through the war. She smiles, relief lighting up her young face, and stutters, if you're sure, even as she speeds ahead. William's breath is rasping in his chest as he climbs, his shoulders knocked by people running past him. There is a fierce surge as he reaches the top, and a woman stops as a small child stumbles. William slows to help her, hoisting the compact body of the little girl in his arms and drawing on the last of his strength to press her to her mother. Go! Run! he gasps, and they do. He reaches out for the cool tile of the wall and leans against it. The air is growing hotter. He can feel that something is about to happen. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. His vision dims as the seething hall of people spins before him and he slides to the ground. The white numbers of the clock on the wall by the escalator turn over. 1940. 
he closes his eyes. Across the tangle of people running through the ticket hall, Anjum sees a figure collapsed beside the wall. His lungs burn as he rushes over, pulling the man's arm around his shoulder and dragging him through the crowd. The man is breathing in quick, shallow rasps. Hang in there, fella, Anjum croaks. He feels the hammer blow of his heart against his chest and his own breath growing ragged. He knows they need to get out, but the old man is struggling to walk, and doubt seizes Anjum with a sudden, hideous clarity. Come on, he shouts, but he cannot do this alone. And then, from where he doesn't know, there is someone beside him. An arm is holding Anjum up, an unseen strength is pulling them both along. The darkness swims with kites and sky and sirens, and a voice that sounds like his father's. You're okay, kid. You done well. Here you go now. I'll just set you both down here. Far below, there is a hollow sound of air igniting. Woomph! Fire moves like water. A wave bursting from wooden varnish heated from the flames beneath, ripping through the station as a single hellish flash. The heat fuses the wires of the clock beside the escalator, which will forever be stuck at 1945. People scramble like jetsam across the ticket hall, screams piercing through the clouds of dense black smoke. William blinks. There is a wall behind him, orange light above. There is air. Dear God, the air. He sucks it in and feels it tracking to his lungs, sharp with cold, but he doesn't care. He lifts his hand. Suit black beneath the streetlights, miraculously unhurt. Trace the bones beneath the skin. Scaphoid, lunate, triquetrum, pisiform, trapezium, trapezoid, capitate, hamate. Some lovers try positions that they can't handle. When he laughs, the young man lying next to him turns. You okay there? William can feel every nerve and pulse of his body but his mouth won't form a word. You saved my life, he wants to say, as so many of his patients have said to him over the years. Until now, he has never understood the power of those professional miracles he performs. He rubs his eyes as he tries to find the words, and when he opens them, he is looking at a face he swears he knows. It's you, is all that he can manage. Anjum smiles. It is. William shakes his head. I mean, I know you. You're the busker. Anjum looks again and sees the man from earlier, who'd listened as he played guitar. Oh, he begins, but his voice leaves him. His throat has grown uncomfortably tight. William stretches out his hand and clasps the young man's arm as he pushes himself to his feet. Thank you. Anjum nods. He stands and wipes his face, which flashes bright, then darkens as the blue lights turn beside them. On the other side of the cordon, firefighters run into the dark mouth of the station, their white helmets the last thing to be obscured by the smoke. William squints, his eyes still blurred with grit. So you're from Kilburn too, are you? Anjum thinks of his music echoing against the dirty brown glaze of Kilburn Park Station of the pocket skyscraper under which he'd had his first kiss, of the high road that heaves with noise and life and history, the place his father loves, the place where he belongs. 
I am. Fancy a walk? I'd be glad of the company. Tomorrow both men will realise the scale of the horror they have escaped. William will sit alongside Naomi at the breakfast table, newspaper spread before him. Images of carnage made banal in black and white. Her hand will shake as she sets the dishes down. Andrew will wake in the early hours and peer through the crack of his mother's bedroom door, watching her small frame curled around the space where his father should be. He will stare at the snowy television screen until the day's programmes begin, and when they do, guilt will burn across his body. Why them and not me? But for now, there are just these simple things. Air and light and being alive. Anjum looks at William and offers his arm. They walk in silence, savouring the tang of fumes and the shriek of brakes as they move through the roaring engine of the city's heart, heading west along the Euston Road until they reach Regent's Park Station. At the top of the brightly lit steps, William pauses and leans against the gleaming green tiles. He shakes his head. I can't, he says. Anjum nods. He touches the old man's shoulder, and they walk, cutting the corners of the Bakerloo line. Baker Street, Edgware Road, made a veil, seeking out the underground's bright beacon to show them the way home. London Etiquette is a short story of the underground from Katie Mahood. Katie Mahood's latest novel, Entanglement, is out now and is available in audiobook, hardback, and ebook. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.